This is Evermore Poe, the turbulent youth of Edgar Allan Poe. Chapter 12, Part 2 Juliet's memories of the plantation were fond, but that was only because she had never actually worked there. Somehow Judith had managed to keep her daughter far from the fields and the harsh reality of the place. The sideways looks of the foreman came on day one of Juliet's new assignment. At first, she disregarded them as meaningless. They're just staring is all, she whispered to herself. But after a while, the men grew bolder. They no longer just stared at her, they leered. She mentioned this one evening as Dabney drove back into town. Dabney didn't say a word. He simply listened, but his expression spoke volumes, and none of it was positive. The very next day, out of the blue, a kindly old slave woman approached her. You remember me? Her wide smile was yellow with age and many missing teeth, but Juliet remembered. Of course, Juliet said. You're Yadoja. Tis right. Your mama was a sweet lady. I'm so sorry for your loss, dear, but that's not why I'm here. I used to help your mama sometimes, and now I'm here to help you. Juliet looked at the stout woman and guessed her age had to be around 60. She was far too old for this type of work, and they both knew it. I'm all right, Juliet said. Ma'am, if you don't mind me saying, you shouldn't be working on a hot day like this. Lance, child, this ain't nothing. Move on over, she laughed. Ain't no one call me Yadoja. You call me on to you. You got that? Within moments, Yadoja was busy grabbing pots and peeling potatoes, all the while hiding the fact that she wasn't there to cook so much as to be a deterrent from the ogling foreman. Julia and Yadoja struck up a special friendship. The time was right for the old woman to help Juliet understand her changing body and how to survive in a world that was completely against them. Mind your wits, girl, she told her. You're a beautiful young black woman. That can be dangerous. Lord knows things are changing, and it can't be coming soon enough. I hear tell there's a movement up north, but until that happens, ain't no use of living on a promise. Mr. Galt, with whom I work in the city, he doesn't ask for much, and I've got Brother Dabney. Now I got you too, Auntie You. Way I see it, I got it pretty good. Hush now, girl. You don't want to be bringing them haints on. Here, take this. Eudosia dove an ashen hand into her bosom and pulled out a cloth-wrapped oval that hung from a string. What's this? Juliet asked. It's protection. Auntie you, I can't. I insist. You go on and take it now. It's yours. It really is. Your grandmother gave that to me. She was a powerful conjurer. Did you know that? I expect not. Oh, she loved you. You were just a little bitty thing when she died. You got her smile, you know. Juliet looked down, but a smile rose anyway. There it is. Such a beautiful smile. You and me are like family now. Juliet, I gotta look after you. So you go on and wear this at all times. You hear? Don't let no one see it, lest they be wanting it for themselves. This is just for you. Juliet followed Eudosia's instructions and placed the talisman around her neck, taking care to hide it below her bodice in the small crevice that had begun to grow on her chest. They worked silently for a moment. On to you, Juliet said. Yes, dear. You really think our situation will change someday? Mm-hmm, I do. I can feel it in my bones. A mighty fight is brewing. I just hope I live to see tell. 
In the months that followed, Joliet formed a strong bond with Auntie Yu. Having her around seemed to stave off the lurking foreman, but eventually the additional work was too much for poor old Eudosia, and Juliet was once again working alone on the plantation. The only conversation she had was with Dabney on their ride home. The Allens are moving back from England, he said. They are? Why? When? Mm. Couldn't make Ellis and Allen work over there, I understand. Let her arrive today. Mr. Galt, none too happy about it either. All his money is up in smoke. Old man's in a foul mood, I tell you. Wait, wait. Go back. The Allens are moving back? To Richmond? Indeed. Probably on a ship right now. It had been five years since she last saw Eddie, and she wondered if her old playmate would even recognize her. Juliet pondered the news and what it might mean for her. If we are only working at the plantation for tobacco exportation and there's no one to receive the tobacco in England, will we still have to come out here every day? I don't know. Will they make me leave Mr. Galt's house? I don't know. Will they try to open an Ellis and Allen somewhere else? Up north, maybe? Listen, girl, I don't know. The questions swirled in Juliet's head all day, enough so to block out the looks and comments from the sweaty foreman who had come to realize she was by herself. Juliet quelled the warning in her gut and focused on the task at hand. That afternoon, Juliet entered a shed where the rice was kept. The door closed behind her. She spun around. There before her stood the nastiest of all the foremen, a sweaty fat man whose face was perpetually twisted. Within earshot of no one, Juliet had never been so scared in all her life. The belligerent man licked his sweaty upper lip mumbled something horrible, and gave an evil grin. He yanked on one arm of his suspenders. Eyes locked on her, he slowly began to strut across the shed like a lion closing in on a gazelle. Juliet backed against the wall until she was flat against the siding. She looked for an escape, but there was none. She was trapped. Fear welled in her. Screaming wouldn't help. The hymns of slaves would cover them all. If anything, her fear might embolden the man. Juliet stood in shocked silence, praying for it to be over soon. Then, without warning, the shed door flew open a second time. Standing in the doorway was none other than John Allen, come to survey the land after five years away. Hearing a commotion in the shed, he took it upon himself to investigate. Juliet looked on as he grabbed his own foreman and threw him like a ragdoll first against the adjacent shed wall and then outside into the noon sun. Juliet remained petrified in fright, but she could hear every detail of the altercation outside. Mr. Allen screaming coarse words in his thick Scottish brogue. Then came the sound of the foreman being punched and kicked. The wind slugged out of him again and again. Finally, there was the sound of the foreman's boots as he ran away. Then, silence. The shed door opened once again. John Allen walked slowly over to Juliet and knelt down beside the sobbing girl on the floor whose legs had finally betrayed her. Grab your effects, he said in a soft but firm manner. I'm taking your home. It was the last time Juliet stepped foot on the plantation. John Allen never spoke of the incident ever again, nor did she. Worst of all, she never got to say goodbye to Auntie Yu. Juliet ruminated on that terrible day when Eddie entered the kitchen. She motioned for him to sit down as she offered him a sweet concoction in a mug. She selected her words carefully, purposely avoiding that horrible day and John Allen's heroic actions. Instead, she focused on the wonderful woman Auntie Yu 
and all she had learned from her about conjuring. I never knew my gran, but I hear tell she started as a midwife out on the plantation and grew to be a powerful healer. She could heal all manner of ailments. By the time she passed, they say she was the strongest mambo around. Eddie scribbled feverishly. What's a mambo? Tis a practitioner of Obia, a priestess. Your mama told you about her? Sakes no. My mama and gran had a fallen out. Then mama was taken away to the city. Then how do you know your grandmother was so powerful? Hold your horses, Eddie. I'll get to that. They say all manner of folk, black and white, came around to consult my gran. They say she could heal everything from a bum leg to a broken heart. Let me see if I've got this right, replied Eddie. You never knew your grandmother, but you know that she was a powerful healer? That's right. She had a reputation as the strongest mambo in this region. But she had to keep it a secret, see, because some believe root work flies in the face of the church. It's also a selection of secret recipes created by the mambo, so anyone would want to keep that hush-hush. But you learned some? Yes. You see, long about when your family moved overseas, I started cooking out of the plantation. Then one day, out of the blue, an old woman appears, starts helping me cook. She starts telling me about my gran, says she was her dear friend and all, that she had some things what my gran wanted to pass down. Of course, I was full of questions. So this old woman opens up and starts sharing that I come from a long line of conjurers and all. Well, then, on to you say, On to you, cried Eddie. You doja? <gasps> you know her? Yes, I know her. She was the one who consoled me when the Ellis kids called me an orphan. They said my mother was a cheap actress and my father was a drunk and that was why Pa didn't want to adopt me. Eudosia was the one who taught me that death wasn't the end. What did she used to say? She said, in African folklore, that heaven is a kingdom in the sea. Isn't that beautiful? It's poem-worthy, really, but I just can't seem to get it right. Not after my dream of a dream that you made fun of. Oh, Eddie, I'm so sorry about that. You really are on to something. I'll keep working on it. Kingdom in the sea, he scribbled. Write something about this. Anyway, he continued, you mean to tell me that sweet little old Eudosia practices conjure? Well, I was getting to that. She was starting to, yes. She was apprenticing with my grand to learn the craft of healing. But then something happened. Auntie you said she saw something one night that shook her to the core. Something real bad. So when my grand died, Auntie you didn't want anything to do with the hoodoo side of it. So she put my grand's relics in a box and potions too and sent them to me. I'm supposed to bury them down at the devil's half acre. Eddie stopped scribbling. Wait a minute. You're supposed to bury them? As in you haven't buried them yet? As in you have these relics in your possession? Juliet knew she had said too much. She was only feeding his morbid curiosity. These magical relic. What sort of items do you have? He turned the page to write more feverishly than ever on the back side. Oh, Eddie, it ain't nothing. Mostly just a bunch of dusty old bottles filled with herbs. See that? This is exactly what I'm looking for, Jules. What kind of herbs are in the bottles? I don't know. Maybe some gymsum, strangleweed oleander and such. I don't rightly know, and I don't rightly care. Eddie ignored her hesitance and hung on every word. What else is in there? Come on, Eddie. This is crazy. Please. <sighs> okay. There's some olive oil, feathers, a little bag of black cat bones. 
I don't touch them. Black cat bones, he scribbled. Is that a euphemism? Is that a whatism? Euphemism. It means a nice way of saying something. Eddie, there ain't nothing nice about them bones. They aren't real cat bones, are they? He asked incredulously. It's like when they call a dandelion bitter wart or holly is batwing. Like a code name. That's what it is, right? <sighs> well, this ain't a cute name for a plant. This is what it is. Auntie you say she's sorry she ever asked about them bones herself. She said bad things will happen if they fall into the wrong hands. Tis why she wanted to get rid of them in the first place. Afraid someone with a wicked heart might end up getting a hold of them. And you have them, these black cat bones. Eddie asked to confirm. Juliet gulped. Uh-huh. Eddie was edge of his seat, excited. He came alive. If you don't mind me asking, why are you holding on to these relics if you don't want them? Auntie, you say I gotta do them the proper way. What's the proper way? I gotta bury the box at a mambo's grave at midnight. Until that can happen, I keep them locked up good and tight. So then why haven't you just buried them? Juliet was starting to get fed up with his ignorant questions. Oh, come on, Eddie. What kind of girl goes up to a cemetery at midnight by herself to dig up a grave? I'd be plumb crazy to go up there alone. You ever see candles and chicken bones on a grave? That's a sure sign of midnight conjure. And trust me, they don't ask questions. Aha, uh-huh. so you do believe it's real. I never said I didn't believe it was real. From what I know, Obia is very real. Powerful, too. Eddie ran out of space to write in the journal, so he turned the book sideways and began taking notes in the margins. What else can you tell me? Eddie begged. I'm sorry. That's it. That's all I got. You don't know any more? I do not. I stopped asking onto you, and I don't go to the plantation anymore. Ain't seen her in a year. If only I could speak with her myself, he begged. Juliet, this is exactly what I'm looking for. Juliet knew when Eddie got an idea in his mind, there was no stopping him. She reluctantly agreed to try and set up a meeting with Auntie Yu. Best I can do is send a message with the driver the next time he goes out there. But I cannot promise she'll talk to you, Eddie. Can't make no promises at all. Which driver, he said. Please, please tell me you'll ask Dabney. Juliet's eyes lit up and Eddie clapped his hands in excitement. Dab was a favorite of Eddie's and Eddie of his. Dabney had taught Eddie important life skills, like how to drive a carriage, chop wood, swim, and even how to charm the ladies. Dabney could get the old woman to agree to an interview if anyone could. Full of excitement, Eddie desperately wanted to hug the beautiful girl standing before him, but he would save their embrace for his dreams. Instead, he said a gentlemanly good night and retired to his room. There, he fell asleep imagining the soft curves of Juliet's nubile figure, her tiny waist. He faded into a dream of their entangled bodies in the cemetery at midnight. Evermore Poe is the historical account of a teenaged Edgar Allan Poe. If you'd like to learn more about Eddie's devolution to become the master of the macabre, please don't forget to follow and share this podcast. Evermore Poe was researched, written, produced, and edited by yours truly, journalist Chris Kosach. I began my research more than a decade ago using vetted journalistic methods with corroborated fact-checking from respected sources including the Library of Congress, periodicals obtained from multiple Poe museums, notable scholars 
Stores and the National Archives, among other collections, strung together in a narrative style. In other words, my story is mostly true. Our music today is from Esther Abrami. It should be noted that some of the characters in Evermore Poe are composites of real people, including servants and slaves who lived in the Allen home at the time of our story. Please note, while Evermore Poe is based on fact, it should not be confused with the historic record. For that, I hope you will go down your own rabbit hole to research one of the most thrilling American authors of all time. Our story continues again next time on Evermore Poe. Until then, I'm Chris Kosach. Thank you for listening.